0: Hey friends, this is Matt Summerfield here, Senior Pastor of Zio Church, and thanks so much for taking time to listen to this week's teaching. I wonder if you've ever had a truly wow experience, you know, the kind of experience that causes you to step back and literally go, wow, something that's breathtaking, captivating, utterly mind-blowing. I remember when both of my boys were born and holding them in my arms for the very first time and being filled with complete wonder and awe. I remember unforgettable trips to the Grand Canyon or Yosemite National Park, which were filled with multiple wow moments. You know, when you think you've seen it all and you turn a corner in the car and then right before you is another incredibly beautiful wow view. Those moments are hard to take in. Well, this week we're looking at another huge interrupt moment that Jesus triggered, which was like an ultimate wow, and it's called the Transfiguration. In fact, there are six wow moments in the Transfiguration story that we're about to read. Each moment will tell us something about God and how awesome God is, and something about how we can respond to God. And if you're not sure what Transfiguration means, then hold tight, because all will be revealed. Now this story is told in the first three biographies of Jesus' life that kick off the New Testament, Matthew, Mark and Luke. They're called the Synoptic Gospels because they're all very similar, sharing some material. And like all good witness accounts, they're mostly the same, but there are some unique observations that each writer draws out, which when you harmonise their accounts, it makes the story even more beautiful. We're going to read Luke's account in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 36. But you can also read the story in Matthew 17, verse 1 to 9, and Mark 9, verses 2 to 10. And I'll draw those accounts in from time to time where it's helpful. So uh, so let's dive in. We're at Luke chapter 9, and we'll start at verse 28, which says this. About eight days after Jesus said this... He took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Now, first question as we get into this is after eight days after Jesus said this, like what? what's Luke talking about? Well, the after this that Luke is referring to, and it's really important for this backstory, to, for, if I help us to understand the transfiguration moment, The this is an incredible moment in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, some days earlier, Jesus asks his disciples who people think he is. Who do people say I am? Jesus asks them. Now just pause. It's probably the most important question in the world. What you think about Jesus could change your life. Like if you think that Jesus is just a a wise teacher, a good person then maybe you'll just give him some respect. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he literally is God who's broken into history to save us and lead us and guide us out of our suffering and into a brand new heavenly reality, then he's not just worth respecting, but he's worth following and obeying and inviting to be part of our lives. Anyway. The disciples start giving answers like, Well, Jesus, some people think that you're John the Baptist who's come back from the dead, or the prophet Elijah, or maybe some other Old Testament character. And so then Jesus asks his disciples directly, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, One of Jesus' disciples literally has this powerful moment. It's as if an incredible truth has just awakened within him. And he passionately blurts out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. This is an extraordinary statement. When Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, he's saying that Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the one that the Jewish people have been looking for to put all the wrong things right in the world. It's like Peter saying, you're the one we've been looking for for all of these centuries, the one that we've been longing for. But more than that, when Peter adds the son of the living God, that phrase essentially means that Peter was saying, you are God. The hope of the world isn't just any man. The hope of the world is in the God who became a man to come and save us. I mean, that's a a wow moment right there, even for Peter. And Jesus responds to Peter by telling him that Peter got this revelation, this understanding, this awakening of truth directly from God. And off the back of this, Jesus then declares that he has come to build his church which is the family of God on the mission of God. And Jesus says that all the forces of hell don't stand a chance against it. Such is the power of heaven to ransack hell. And I can imagine at this point that all of the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, they're loving this moment. They're thinking, this sounds great. Like Jesus is the Messiah, God who's come to save us. Our our enemies will be defeated. Hell will be conquered. We love this. How's it going to happen, Jesus? How are you going to pull this off? But then Jesus doesn't give them the answer they're expecting. He, He alludes to the fact that freedom will come through captivity. Life will come through death. Jesus tells his disciples that the way that he will save them is that he will suffer and be rejected and he will die. And then to prove that he is God, he will defeat death, be raised from the dead after three days. But what's interesting is it's as if the disciples just can't even hear that latter bit about being raised from the dead. They're, They're stuck, they're hung up on suffer, rejected, die, they're offended. That's not the kind of Messiah they're expecting. And if you look at the story, it's kind of funny because Peter literally takes Jesus aside and essentially says, uh, Jesus, um, just come with me, like walk with me. You're upsetting us with all of this suffer and death talk. Uh, We don't want to hear about a suffering saviour. You're supposed to kill the enemy, not be killed by them. And this is one of those moments where Jesus gets pretty feisty with Peter. He essentially tells Peter to shut up and listen and embrace God's way of doing things, which actually is a way of love and service and sacrifice. And then Jesus tails off this Caesarea Philippi conversation with all the disciples by reminding him, them that following him means embracing the same, to live a life of love and sacrifice and service. Like following Jesus is wonderful, it's the best, but it is costly. And so we jump from this ending into the story we're coming to today. And so I wonder what they're all feeling as that Caesarea Philippi conversation came to an end. I wonder what's going through their minds as the space became silent. I wonder if they're thinking, I'm not sure we've got this. I'm not sure we like this. I'm not sure who this Jesus really is. And perhaps as those thoughts linger, Matthew, Mark and Luke all bring us to this mountaintop moment with Jesus and Peter, James and John. And what's about to happen for them will be essential if they're going to stay focused on playing their part in the mission of Jesus. And so as we read with that huge backstory, Luke says, about eight days after this Caesarea Philippi moment, Jesus took Peter, John and James with him and went up a mountain to pray. This is the first wow moment. And it's this, that Jesus chooses us. Jesus had 12 disciples and many other people followed him. But this moment, he only chooses Peter, James and John. It's only reserved for them and their uneducated, unschooled fishermen. Jesus invites Peter, James and John to come with him alone to a mountain to pray. Why them? And by the way, it's not the first time this has happened either. Over a year ago, Peter, James and John are invited by Jesus to be the sole witnesses to Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead in the upper room of a house hitherto full of sadness. And within months from this mountaintop experience in Luke that we're reading today, Jesus is going to invite Peter, James and John again to join him by themselves in the darkness of the night in a garden called Gethsemane. As he prays for heaven's help in the face of crucifixion the following day. Why? Why just them? Why choose them? Last week was Pentecost Sunday, the day when we celebrated the Holy Spirit breaking out in a new level of fullness and expression over the family of God. 50 days after Jesus has risen from the dead. And on that day, the story of which is captured in the book of Acts chapter 2, something new is birthed. And the leaders of this brand new thing from heaven are Peter, James, and John. Like, why does Jesus keep drawing aside Peter, James, and John? Because he sees that beyond their weakness and failures, their insecurities and their brokenness, he sees what they will become. He loves them. He sees the potential in them. He sees the unique call upon their lives, that they will trigger this new movement of God's kingdom, that we are a part of today, that they will be the founders and the pioneers following Jesus, kickstarting this amazing thing called the church. He shows us that the biggest impact you'll always make is by investing in a small number of people. And so he gives them this mountaintop experience because he knows that the tough times will be ahead. And if they're to fulfill that that chosen call, they're going to need this moment of encounter. And you know what's interesting is that decades on from this, when Peter is much older, he writes the final letter to the church that he ever is going to write, it's what we know as the letter of 2 Peter. He spent the last 30 years serving Christ. He knows he's about to be killed himself for following. His martyrdom is approaching. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21, Peter recalls 30 years later this mountaintop experience that we're looking at today. And he tells his readers, who perhaps themselves are feeling fearful, knowing that Peter's soon to be executed for his faith in Christ. And he reminds them of this moment that we're about to look at. And he says, look, I've seen the glory of Jesus for myself. I've seen it, touched it, I've heard it, I've experienced it on a mountaintop decades ago. And because of this moment, I've stayed true because I know that Jesus is everything he says he was. And so I've kept my confidence in him. I know that God is a work. I've been privileged to be part of his mission for the last 30 years. The first wow is that Jesus chooses God chooses unchoosable people to change the world. He does that today He sees in us what we will become and he calls it out God has chosen you 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 might feel like oh maybe I'm like, like one of the other nine disciples who weren't chosen they were chosen they were just chosen by Jesus for different things. we're all chosen we're all picked to play our part in team Jesus. no one is left on the bench. Whatever you think of yourselves, you are chosen by God for a purpose in the world. So say yes. Say yes to the invitation and see what God will do. Jesus takes the three disciples up to a mountaintop and pray. And then in verse 29 of Luke 9, we see what happens next. It's the second wow of God. We see in Jesus the God who reveals more of himself to us. The scripture says, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Matthew and Mark's account puts it this way. Matthew 17 verse 2 says, there Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. In Mark chapter 9, verse 3, Mark puts it this way, that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Like, I love that. Like, this is crazy white. As Jesus was praying, something utterly wow happened. Jesus is literally transformed. His face, his whole being, like, imagine that moment. Jesus is is. Beaming with unadulterated, perfect, brilliant white light, that which was is within Jesus starts to shine out of him. The original New Testament Greek word for transfigured here is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It means to be changed into another form, to be transformed. We would know it best when a caterpillar is eventually transformed into a butterfly. It's, it's different. It, it looks different. It feels different. It's even more beautiful and radiant metamorphosis. And so it's as if in this moment, heaven pulls back the curtain to reveal what was communicated at Caesarea Philippi, that Jesus is not just a man, but he is God who's become a man. Like the disciples were accustomed, familiar with Jesus' humanity, but now they get to witness his divinity in an extraordinary way. They see Jesus for who he truly, truly is. Jesus wants to reveal to them that he is truly God. And friends, we we all need a continued, deepening awakening of who Jesus is. Like, let's never settle. Let's never think we've got God figured out, that we understand him. And notice that this place of transfiguration, this place of Jesus revealing more of himself, came in the place of prayer. It came in the place of intimacy. That's why we need to be so committed to slow down and learn to be with God. To be with God in worship, in prayer, through reading the scriptures, through moments of silence and stillness and contemplation and even moments in service and mission in these spaces and places we find that Jesus by his spirit is able to reveal more of himself to us. The first wow is that Jesus chooses. God sees us for what we can become and he chooses us to follow him for a purpose. And the second wow is that Jesus reveals. God wants to reveal more of himself to us and then through that bring his transforming power to be at work in our lives. But let's carry on because this story just keeps getting more amazing. The third wow in verses 30 to 31 is Jesus rescues. We're told this, two men, Moses and Elijah, appear in glorious splendour, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to fulfil at Jerusalem. So get this, like this, this story can't even get crazier. Out of nowhere, the Old Testament characters, Moses and Elijah, appear on, the, on either side of Jesus and they enter into a conversation with him. Now, let's be clear. Moses lived over 1300 years before Jesus. And the interesting thing about Jesus is the scriptures tell us that, that it was like God buried him, like no one ever found Moses's body. So, so there was always rumour like, did he really, really die? Well, of course he did die. But, but in this moment, like God, it like brings him out of the heavenly realm. And then Elijah, he was around 900 years before Jesus. And, and similarly, like actually, Elijah was caught up in a cloud and, and taken into heaven. And so, like, they this, again, incredible experience of, of being transferred into the heavenly realm. And now he's back. This is a surprising moment. God has brought them back from the heavenly realm for this moment. Now, of course, if you're like me and you've got an inquiring mind, you might think, well, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, after all, there was no Facebook, no Instagram, no photos to refer back to. And I can only imagine two things that that, that one, just at a practical level, maybe Peter, James and John knew it was Elijah and Moses because Jesus was calling them by name. But I'm sure because of all that's going on in this incredible sacred moment, they again have this revelation, not just of who Jesus is, but who is with Jesus. But why? Why Moses and why Elijah? And again, I want to suggest two reasons. Firstly, this encounter quashes some of the false rumours about who Jesus is. Remember, again, the story in Caesarea Philippi. The disciples said that Jesus might be Elijah, or maybe he's another Old Testament priest or prophet or character like Moses. But in this wow moment, it's absolutely clear that Jesus is not Elijah, and he's not Moses, because here he stands and talks to both of them. They are different people. And secondly, like a year or so earlier, Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when referring to the Old Testament laws and prophets. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. Now. Every good Jew knows that Moses, the character of Moses, the person of Moses, is the ultimate representation of the law because the law of God, which is revealed in the first five books of the Bible, comes through Moses. And Elijah is the ultimate representation of the prophets because he is the most famous prophet of the whole of Israel. Jesus came to fulfill, to complete. The, the work of Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. It's like Jesus is saying that everything that Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, the priests and the prophets spoke about, were involved in, in their time, ultimately spoke to the coming hope that Jesus and his mission would come to save the world through his death and resurrection. Which is why Luke tells us in chapter 9, verse 31, that when they were together speaking in this mountaintop moment, they spoke about Jesus' departure, Jesus' exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfilment in Jerusalem. Jesus is just months away, maybe six months away from his death and resurrection. And like we don't fully know all the details of what Moses and Elijah are saying. But you can imagine Moses saying, I remember this law and this law and this practice of sacrifices and, and how the lamb would be sacrificed to pay the price for sin. And all of that was pointing to you, Jesus. And all the prophetic activity that Elijah was involved in at his time, again, is saying, Jesus, all of these things were pointing to you this coming day when hope would finally break out and everything would change. In our third wow moment, the arrival of Moses and Elijah reminds us that Jesus alone has come to rescue us. He is the hope we are looking for. Like Jesus famously, and some people think controversially, said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus wasn't Essentially saying everyone else is wrong. His point was to say no one else is coming for you. Moses is not going to rescue you. Elijah will not rescue you. Whatever other spiritual or sacred or religious figure you have in mind or hold in high esteem will not rescue you. God alone revealed in Jesus Christ will rescue you. And he still says the same thing today. It's bold and some do find it offensive, but it doesn't make it any less true. The third wow is that Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of the world, the son of the living God, alone is the one who rescues us. He alone is the one who has defeated sin and suffering and death on the cross. He alone has the power to bring freedom and life to us all. Wow. So what happens next? Well, we get this hilarious moment that Luke continues to tell us in Luke 9, verse 32 to 33. We're told Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. It seems that Peter, James and John have dozed off as Jesus starts to pray. I'm sure we've all been guilty of that from time to time in prayer meetings. But their sleepy eyes are understandably blown open as they see the encounter that's before them. They are suddenly wide awake. And Peter knows that this is a special moment. And of course, like we would like he wants it to last forever like he wants to be in this holy sacred space like forget about the mission forget about all that talk in Caesarea Philippi of suffering and dying and rising Jesus let's just like hang out with these two other brothers and I love that Luke and Mark have this footnote like Peter did not know what he was saying it's like they're saying Peter you're an idiot keep your eyes open and your mouth shut This was a wonderful wow interrupt moment for sure, but it was a moment for a purpose. It was an encounter for a purpose. Peter wanted to create a monument, but Jesus wanted a spark, a movement. Jesus knew that Peter and John needed this wow experience and this encounter, but not to hold on to it, not to freeze time, not to create some inward looking holy huddle, not to remain in their mountaintop experience. But this moment should move them into the mission of God. They would have to come back down the mountain again. You see, the more you know God, the more you see of God, the more your heart is touched by God, the more his mission will become your passion. And if you have had an encounter with God, then you'll have an encounter with his heart. And his heart is always for the whole world to know him. Mountaintop moments with God are wonderful I pray for more of them for me and for all of us but those moments should move us back down the mountain to join Jesus in his mission to save the last the least and the lost you see wow number four reminds us that Jesus moves us moments with God should spark movements of God And then just when things can't seem any crazier in this transfiguration moment, we get the fifth wow. Verse 34 of Luke chapter nine. While Jesus was speaking, a cloud appeared. No, sorry. While Peter was speaking, while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And so here, Jesus, i um, sorry, again, Peter hasn't even finished speaking when a bright, a bright cloud comes out of nowhere. And there's an emphasis here on the fact that this was no ordinary cloud. It's not a dark cloud or a rain cloud. This cloud is shining with the radiance of heaven. It reminds us of the pillar of cloud that God used with Moses to direct the Israelites during their journey through the wilderness. It reminds us of the cloud that fell upon Mount Sinai as Moses received the law from God in Exodus. It reminds us of the cloud that filled the Jerusalem temple when Solomon dedicated it decades and centuries earlier. You see, in the Old Testament, the cloud is always a symbol of being saturated and covered. By the very presence of God. This is the God who covers us with his presence, the God who surrounds us. And it wasn't that God was less present a moment earlier. God is always present. God is always with us. God is always covering us. God is always surrounding us. But again, it's like the the curtain of heaven is peeled back. And Peter, James and John get to see a, a visible manifestation of the presence of God. Like I want to encourage you today that God has got you covered whether you sense it or know it or feel it or see it God has got you covered you might be afraid and feeling lost but God is with you and God is for you and you can trust him and you can rely on him God covers us and so we turn as we start to close to the sixth wow that helps us a voice from heaven verse 35 of Luke 9 a voice comes from the cloud saying this is my son whom I have chosen listen to him you know this is the second time that God the Father has spoken out over Jesus the first was over Jesus two years earlier, after uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist the Holy Spirit rested on him like a dove And Father God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This was the father speaking over his son Jesus at the beginning of his mission. And now as Jesus' mission draws to a close and he sets his face towards death and resurrection, Father God speaks again, but this time primarily addressing Peter, James and John. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him, the father says. Like like even Father God is telling Peter, be quiet and listen up. And again, the original Greek word that's used here in Luke's gospel for listen doesn't mean a passive listen. It's an active listen. It's it's hear and do act upon what you've said. Lean in in order to act out. Listen with the commitment that you'll act upon what you've heard. Let God guide you and lead you. I don't know about you, I've never tangibly heard the voice of God, this must have been an unforgettable wow moment, as the God who leads and guides us. The Father speaking over humanity as they wrestle with their questions about who Jesus is. The Father saying to Peter, James and John, as he says to us, you can trust this Jesus, you can depend on this Jesus, you can believe in this Jesus, you can listen to this Jesus you can follow this Jesus. This is, after all, the Jesus who Matthew reminds us in chapter 17, verse six of this story, comes up to the disciples who are terrified with all that's happening and he touches them and he tells them not to be afraid and he invites them to get up and keep going with him. Whatever you're facing right now, God hasn't changed. You know, God is smarter than all of us. He's more loving than all of us. He's more committed than any of us. And he invites us to listen to him. Even today, he wants to touch your life with his compassionate embrace. He wants to whisper to you, don't be afraid. Trust me, follow me, and I will lead you into hope and a future. And so our story comes to an end friends. Luke chapter 9 verse 36 Luke says when the voice had spoken they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they'd seen. This is an incredible wow moment. Unforgettable. Matthew tells us in chapter 17 verse 9 we're told a little bit more about what Jesus said, Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the son of man, which is a title he uses for himself, until the son of man has been raised from the dead. So Jesus saying, don't tell the other disciples until I've raised from the dead. And then Mark adds a little addendum in Mark chapter nine, verse 10. They keep the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead men. And I love that. I love that after everything that's happened, Peter, James, and John, they still don't get it. Like, what's all this rising from the dead talk? Like, this is crazy stuff. They're still battling with doubts and confusion. And I find that so reassuring that they didn't have it all together. They still had their questions even after this incredible encounter. But... They refused to let go of Jesus. They committed to keep following him, even when they didn't understand. They kept trusting him. They kept daring to believe that he was and is and forever will be the God who chooses people like them and you and me. The God who reveals more of himself to us as we make time to be with him. The God who alone can rescue us from our suffering and our sickness and our struggles and our selfishness and even death itself. The God who moves us to join in with his mission, to see everyone reached and hear the good news that is Jesus. The God who covers us, that we are always surrounded by his loving presence if we would just wake up to the fact that he is there. And what is he there to do? He is the God who guides us, who leads us into hope and life and future and destiny. These three men, despite their questions and discussions, they kept the faith. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, these three unlikely candidates went on to change the world. This moment sparked a movement and the movement was fueled by the constant memory of the moment. I pray for all of us today that we will take time and invite this God afresh. God, you've chosen me. And I say, yes, God, you've revealed more of yourself to me. And I say, show me more, Lord, of your glory. God, I bring to you the things that I'm struggling with. Rescue me. God, if I've got too comfortable in my faith, move me more into your mission. God, I'm I'm not aware that you're with me. But right now, I know that you have covered me and surrounded me with your loving presence. You never leave me. God, I don't know what to do, so would you lead and guide me? I pray for all of us in this There Is More year that we will have more wonderful moments with God. And those moments with God will spark movements of God in and through us, in our streets, in our communities, in our workplaces. And when it gets hard, when it gets tough, when we feel like giving up, the memories of those moments will stoke our faith to keep on keeping on because Jesus is everything he said he is. God bless you guys. God bless you.